Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Good morning and welcome. It is already November 2019 and we are well on our way towards 2020. And there is so much that we can do to expand. Much of that comes from how we expand the possibility that exists within us. I'm excited about my guest today and the topic that we are going to be diving into, which is Limitless Mind, Learn, Lead, and Live Without Barriers. But before we dive into that, I wanted to definitely let you know that the new issue of 1111 Magazine is up and out, and it is extraordinary. I'm excited to share some incredible individuals that have done some beautiful things in the world. Uh, you will meet Humble the Poet and and read about how you uncover things that no one else can teach you. There's a beautiful article by Mark Nepo and so many others. In addition, you can find links to many of the archived editions of 1111 Talk Radio. So definitely check out the magazine. It is free all of the time at 1111mag.com. You can access the digital issues. From the moment we enter school as children, we are made to feel as if our brains are fixed entities capable of learning certain things and not others. This notion follows us into adulthood where we accept these established beliefs about our skill sets. These damaging and false beliefs and assumptions have influenced all of us at some time limiting our choices and ultimately our futures. Stanford University professor and best-selling author, acclaimed educator, Dr. Joe Bowler, has spent decades studying the impact of beliefs and bias on education. In Limitless Mind, she explodes the myth that our brains are static and reveals the six keys to unlocking our boundless learning potential. Her research proves that those who achieve at the highest levels do not do so because of a genetic inclination toward any one skill, but because of the keys that she reveals in this particular book. Our brains are not fixed, but entirely capable of change, growth, adaptability, and rewiring. If you want to be influenced by mathematics, learn a foreign language, play the guitar, write a book, the truth is that anyone at any age can learn anything. And the act of learning itself fundamentally changes who we are. And as Joe Bowler argues so elegantly in her book, what we go on to achieve. Dr. Joe Bowler is a professor of mathematics education at Stanford University and the faculty director of UCubed, an education resource that has reached over 230 million students. She is the author of the first MOOC on mathematics teaching and learning, as well as nine mathematic books and numerous research articles. Her work has been published in numerous media, such as the New York Times, Time Magazine, the Atlantic, the Wall Street Journal, and many others. And she was named by the BBC as one of eight educators changing the face of education. Welcome, Joe, to 1111 Talk Radio. It is wonderful to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to chat with you today. We do need to let go of this idea that our brains are fixed. I remember growing up, and I even hear today oftentimes um, in the way that some schools are speaking about gifted programs or uh, hierarchy that is still exists today in, in different ways in our educational system, even inside of our homes as parents. Sometimes we decide that one child is one way and one child is another. And mm-hmm. you are assisting individuals in breaking those 
those false beliefs about how we can learn and the potential that we each have uh, to to attaining our highest potential. You start off the book talking about neuroplasticity and the new research that has come out about how all of that is completely false and that we need to change not only how we look at this, but how we believe about ourselves. Talk a little bit about some of the research and particularly um, some of the neuroplasticity changes. Yes. The neuroscience from the last couple of decades is very clear that our brains are in a constant state of change. And we know now that every time you learn something, one of three things happens in your brain. One possibility when you learn something for the first time is you start a new brain pathway. And the deeper you learn it, the stronger that pathway becomes. The other possibility is you connect pathways. And the third is that you strengthen pathways you already had. So that's what happens when we learn. Our brains are constantly forming and strengthening these pathways. And Norman Doidge, who's one of the brain scientists I quote in the book, talks about how every single day of our lives, when we wake up, our brains are different from the day before. Now, you talk about how we live in this society where there is a widespread message that is focused more on fixed intelligence or giftedness and the importance of our self-beliefs and the roles that teachers and parents have in influencing them. As we move from that, um, how is that damaging us? And is there a way to to truly shift it with those beliefs are already in there? Because I know just from the personal growth aspect, mm-hmm. so often what limits so many people are all of those wounds and mm-hmm. self-beliefs and, and yeah. issues that they have to work through to get out of the very blocks that they put themselves into. Yeah. Well, we know a lot now about mindset, and that idea came from a colleague of mine at Stanford, Carol Dweck, and we have decades of research showing that if you believe in yourself, if you have a growth mindset, your life turns out to be different. You learn differently, but you also go through life differently. But the good news is people can change their mindsets at any time, and we have incredible evidence of that. Um, Some of it, I, I work with undergrads at Stanford Although they're very high achieving, many of them come in with very fixed beliefs about themselves. And I have found, working with those undergrads, also working with teachers and school students, that those beliefs change when you start to understand the brain evidence, which I share in my book. And as soon as you start to know that your brains are constantly changing and developing, and the good ways to get your brains to do that, your mindset starts to change. And we see that um, a lot of the time. One of the studies I could share that's in my book is a study of um, hospital cleaners, sorry, hotel cleaners. And the researchers uh, divided a large group of hotel cleaners into two groups. One of the groups, they told your work cleaning hotels actually satisfies the Surgeon General's recommendations for an active lifestyle. And the other group was told nothing. And they then followed these groups of hotel cleaners and watched them over a number of weeks. Their behavior didn't change at all. But at the end of this period, which was about four weeks long, the people that they had told that their exercise was more healthy actually had improved their health in a number of different ways. Their blood pressure, their weight, their all sorts of different things changed about them. And that happened because they changed their minds about how healthy their exercise was. So it's pretty amazing what happens when people shift their mindset about their health, their learning, 
Um, and as I said, people can shift those mindsets, even with a simple message, as in that study. And when we, we shift something in the mind, you're already illustrating that it does have an impact on our physical body. It has an impact mm-hmm. on our health. And then that, too, would then have the impact on what else we think is possible. That's right. And, of course, these ideas are particularly important for anybody who's learning, whether they're a child or an adult. And one thing we know is, so another important message in my book is that times of struggle and finding what difficult, those are the best times for your brains. Those are the times when your brains are most active. But one of the studies showed that if you have a growth mindset, you believe in yourself, and then you struggle, your brain is more active than if you have a fixed mindset when you struggle. So this is where we start to see that what we believe about ourselves actually changes how our brains operate. And so if you imagine all those times of struggle as you go through life, when you're a learner, but just in your jobs and life too, and that if you have a growth mindset, your brain responds in a better way every time you struggle, you start to see why those mindsets um, have such a high impact on people. You you do write about teaching the value of mistakes and mm-hmm. how important that is in terms of um, our growth. Actually, your learning key number two is the times when we are struggling and making mistakes are the best times for brain growth. Speak mm-hmm. a little bit more to that as to why that shifts and expands our brain more at those times. Yes, it's really interesting. I mean, they've actually looked at people's brains. We have voltage maps of brains when people are struggling. And what they see is when they take tests and people make a mistake, there's more brain growth when they make a mistake than when they get work correct. And that's because when you're struggling, when you're finding something really difficult, this is when your brain is really active and developing pathways and strengthening them. So that's a really important message for learners. Our school system has really built schools around the idea that what we're looking for is correct work. And if we run classrooms where people are getting things correct all the time, those aren't really good environments for brain growth. So we also see it not just in brain studies, but in studies of people's behavior. One of the books I cite in my book is one by Daniel Coyle, where he went out and studied the highest achieving people in lots of different fields, music and art and maths. And what he found was the people who are super high achieving had not got there because of some genetic advantage. They had got there because they struggled a lot and they engaged a lot in um, this zone where you're always pushing at the edge of your understanding. That's the best zone to be in when you're learning. As you're talking about it, it makes it almost appear like a workout for the brain. Yeah. Kind of like a physical workout that Mm -hmm. when we do have the mistakes or the struggles that we are allowing the brain to exercise in its own way. Yeah. Just as when you, you know, work out with weights and you are using heavy weights that you're not used to or, you know, that that are pretty heavy, that will develop your muscles. In the same way, your brain wants that kind of workout. 
You shared an example of a, a teacher uh, by the name of Jennifer in Canada and how mm-hmm. she worked with students along those steps of struggle. And I loved yeah. the idea of the pit and allowing yes. individuals to go into their feelings as well because mm-hmm. there is this disconnect from the mind side to the heart side so often. Yeah. And I found that to be really beautiful in a way that not only supported uh, the mental body, but also supported the emotional body for these kids. Mm -hmm. And that helped them change their perspectives on what it looked like to feel certain things or have failure or have mistakes. Mm -hmm. Talk about the emotional component when it comes to Mm -hmm. brain study. Well, we know that students all over the world um, sit in classrooms and when they struggle, they start to think to themselves, I'm not good enough. I don't have a maths brain or you could replace that with any subject. Um, similarly, when they see somebody solve something faster than them, they get the same ideas. I'm not as good as that person. So when they start developing those ideas, their brains will start um, acting differently. And so it's so important that we change those moments of struggle for kids. And Jen Schaefer, who you mentioned, I have her visuals in the book. She shares with students the idea of the learning pit Um which comes from an educator in England, and the learning pit. The pit is somewhere you really need to get into that pit. It's the pit of struggle. And her kids together uh, illustrate the pit and how they feel going into the pit and how they feel going out of it. And I loved when I interviewed Jen. She said to me, my student, she teaches fifth grade students, and she said, my students come to me sometimes and they say, Miss Schaefer, I'm really in the pit. And her response to that is, that's fantastic. What tools can I give you to help you? And there's a couple of things I love about that response. One is she values them being in the pit. She says, that's really great. And the other is she doesn't rush in and help them and break down the work so it becomes easy and students can get to the end of it. She values that place of struggle. So that's one of the big changes we need in education because teachers across the Western world have been trained to save students from struggle. And when kids struggle, parents as well will dive in and say, well, we can think about the problem like this. And they break it down into little pieces um, and the kids don't go through that struggle. So that it's really important as teachers and parents to change that message. Mm. I, I noticed in my older son that he seemed to be, and I think this is often a case for most first children, that mm. we as parents have high expectations for them or, or we want them to be the best that they can be or uh, we get excited about you know their ability to achieve and things like that. And then there's this outer influence, this social influence about getting somewhere faster um, mm-hmm. or these messages that come from the outer world about being the best or the one mm-hmm. who's the highest gets the reward. Can you speak a little bit to what we as parents can do to support not putting that pressure on our children because you're talking more from a school perspective here, but it seems to me that it actually begins before they even get to school. It does, yeah. And there are different ways in which parents value speed in children. Um, One of them is very explicitly a lot of parents think, oh, my children need to learn maths facts and I'm going to time them um, to see how fast they can go through them or I'm going to give them flashcards and value how speedily they work through them. 
And we know that that speed message is very damaging for kids. And some students are very slow but deep thinkers. They're often those with the greatest potential. Um, And then when they get this speed message and they feel they can't work quickly or they can't work under time pressure, they start to think to themselves, you know, I'm not very capable. And that's really unfortunate. And one of the uh, people I interview that's in the book talks about how her parents, because she she wasn't doing well on maths facts in school, set her up in the kitchen with a kitchen timer. And she said she still, as an adult, is traumatized every time she hears Mm. that in timer. We are all learning all of the time. Schools and colleges may be the places we associate with learning, but they are not the only places in which learning happens. Our lives are filled with moments of learning, and it is in the myriad of opportunities to connect differently with ideas and with people that the learning keys in Joe Bowler's book, Limitless Mind, can come into play. Her aim in writing this book is to equip you with the ideas that can enhance all of your interactions so that you live life as fully as can be and help unlock others by sharing the information that you have learned. What if the possibilities to change your expertise to develop in new directions, to form different identities as people are actually endless and continue throughout your lives? What if we wake up every day with a changed brain? Joe Bowler's book will share the evidence that your brains and your lives are highly adaptable and that when people fully embrace this knowledge and change their approach to learning, incredible outcomes do result. She has an event coming up November 14th in Rochester, New York. You can find out more about that at her website, along with all of her other work, you can go to ucubed.org. That's Y-O-U-C-U-B-E-D.org. We'll be right back after these messages with Dr. Joe Bowler. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. 
Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Before we dive back into our show today, I want to announce the release of 1111 online courses. I'm very excited to collaborate with many of the 1111 alumni that have come through the radio show and the magazine and create a beautiful array of courses on all kinds of topics to support you in getting to know the things that you are seeking to understand and integrate in your own life through for personal growth or self-realization. In addition, it allows you to get to know these individuals even more and have a more intimate experience with them as you take on some of the the things that they are there to teach. So definitely check that out at the 1111mag.com site when you have time. When we give up on something and we decide we cannot do it, it is rarely because of actual limits. Instead, it is because we've decided we cannot do it. We are all susceptible to this negative and fixed thinking, but we become particularly susceptible to it when we age and start to feel that we are not as physically or mentally strong as we once were. The knowledge that our brains are constantly changing and that we can learn complex skills at any age could help the scores of older adults who believe they are in decline and there's nothing that they can do about it. Many people as they age start to believe they are capable of less and this changes many of the decisions they make in their lives. Because they believe they can do less, they actually do less, which results in the cognitive decline they fear. Instead of retiring to a life of minimal activity, research tells us that we would be helped by filling our retirement years with new challenges and learning opportunities. This is from Dr. Joe Bowler's book, Limitless Mind, Learn, Lead, and Live Without Barriers. She's a professor of mathematics education at Stanford University and the faculty director of UCubed, an education resource that has reached over 230 million students. Uh, she is the author of other books, and you can find out more about everything that she does at ucubed.org. Uh, welcome back, Joe. That is an important point about people aging. You know, much of the book is geared toward how we are dealing with children in terms of their growth, but what about changing the lifelong beliefs of those of us that are moving up in age and then moving into other parts of our lives where it feels like things are going into their setting of the sun rather than Mm -hmm. the rising of a new life? Mm -hmm. Yes, I love the work on brain growth that's being conducted with adults in retirement homes And they have studied um, adults who they get to engage in different eight-week-long activities. And just like with younger students, they find that the people who experience the most brain growth are people who are doing activities that push them out of their comfort zone. So, um, And those adults, even in those later years, experience significant brain growth. So our brain is capable of this growth all of the time. It used to be believed that people could 
develop their brains up to maybe adolescence. And some people felt that you were born with a brain that was fixed. But actually, our brains are in this constant state of growth. So what we do wrong when we people who go into retirement and then stop thinking in challenging ways um, are actually contributing to that brain decline. And so um, the people who got the experience, the most brain growth in the retirement homes were people who were doing something different. So some of them were people who took an art class because they had never really worked in art before and others experienced the brain growth from doing something different, um, like playing chess if they hadn't played chess before. So always stimulating your brain, it turns out, is important. Well, and I think that goes along with so much of the other research where they're illustrating how passion helps individuals that have retired live longer because they've actually placed their focus into something else. Yeah. But that correlates right alongside with, with yeah. the new education, the new learning, the new empowerment. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, you. I think we can totally see that, that people who have a strong purpose and are more driven to engage in, in whatever it is, whether, you know, whatever kind of activity that is, Uh, would live longer. That makes total sense. Another of the studies I quote in my book, um, health researchers followed over 21,000 people um, over many years. And they found that the people who believed their exercise was healthy were actually healthier than the people who did the same amount of exercise but didn't think it was healthy. And interestingly, those uh, healthy thinkers, those positive thinkers about their health Uh, were 71% more likely to be still alive in the follow-up period. So these mindset ideas, people dismiss them as not being very important, but turns out they are extremely important. And even what you believe about your own exercise um, predicts how long you live in these health studies. So what do you feel like with your research and your years of of expertise on the on the mind and on mathematics and the different areas is the distinction between imagination positivity and literally literally brainwashing ourselves into believing something how do we judge that scale and and what's what's most important when we're looking at really learning and leading and living without barriers Well, I think one thing that's really important is trying to work with those negative voices we hear in our own heads. And I um, work with teachers a lot, as I said, and many teachers, particularly those of elementary school teachers, have themselves had traumatic learning experiences, often with maths, which is a subject I particularly focus on. And when we work on maths together, I hear them saying things like, I won't be able to do this, or I'm really going to make a mess of this, or any of those negative voices. Sometimes we say them out loud, sometimes we just hear them to ourselves. And working to identify in your own mind what triggers you into that negative thinking. Maybe you never think negatively about some things in your lives. Maybe you think, oh, I can, you know, learn a sport or I can learn to do something. But In other areas, you have these negative thoughts. Um, Carol Dweck, who's the pioneer of mindset, actually talks about how she's changed in recent years. She's changed her own thinking about mindset. And she used to believe that people had a growth or a fixed mindset. But now she realizes that people have moments. Everybody has moments of fixed mindset thinking. And it's really important to identify those moments. 
she said that some people even give them names and she was working with business leaders a while back when the leader of the organization named his fixed mindset Dwayne and he said you know when we're stressed and when the time deadlines are on I, I become Dwayne and I become super critical of everybody and and then people in his organization said yes and when you're Dwayne my Iana comes rushing out and I become uh, afraid and timid and so they were doing this really good work of talking about this in this business environment. When we look at people that are ultra successful, let's take uh, athlete, for example, mm-hmm. or a highly skilled musician, and they've been very, very focused in one particular area, and they know or have been told that they're gifted in that particular area, mm-hmm. they may excel to extraordinary heights mm-hmm. in that particular field right but does that does that contract them in other ways when it uh-huh. comes to the brain well it, yes I mean we know that our brain has a process that's called competitive brain space so if you're working in one area developing your brain your brain will develop those neurons and synapses and um and then if you're not working in another area it will let those areas go so if you want to keep your brain active, you need to keep exercising, you know, whatever those thought processes are. Now, it might be okay to let some areas go. If you're working in a certain field, you maybe don't need to have developed brain areas in all areas. But I think for younger students, um, focusing in on one area, letting others go isn't the most productive pathway because who knows what they might do. And that kind of thinking happens a lot in schools. And you hear teachers even saying to people, don't worry, you're not a math person. You can, you're good at English. So that kind of thinking with young people, um, I really try and uh, educate people not to do that. In the unschooling movement, uh, individuals allow the child to be more of the child-directed learner uh, as opposed to many times in school systems where we're mandated by the regulations and the curriculum yeah. has to be a certain way. So right. how, how do we work within those kinds of systems where mm-hmm. those paradigms are existing that you're discussing yeah. in the book, mm-hmm. but yet open our children up to realizing their full potential and not taking on those self-beliefs? Yeah. Well, I will say I'm a parent of two children in school, um, school-aged children now. It's hard. Because schools have been set up in a very narrow way to value a narrow type of thinker and learner. And uh, those kids who fit into that little box are the ones that do well. And oftentimes other students who may think more creatively or flexibly uh, are given the message that they're not successful students. So, But um, for teachers, even working inside that system, They can do amazing things. And I cite teachers in my book who have taken the messages and just changed their teaching and their students' achievement has been phenomenally changed. For parents, I think we have to just keep pushing against those narrow messages kids are getting from schools often um, and keep pointing out to them that speed doesn't matter, for example, I'm always telling my children that. It doesn't matter how fast you are. It doesn't matter how quickly somebody else thinks something. Um, Now, they go to school and they get the opposite message of that, where the speedy thinkers are valued. But I still think it's worth it for us parents to be um, helping our students know that those messages you're getting may not be the most important messages. My own 
daughters uh, totally have two different versions of maths in their lives. And they say, you know, I really like mummy's maths. I don't like school maths very much, but I know that I like this other maths. And at least they know that there is another possibility. Um, so I think it's really worth it for us as parents to be constantly pushing against the um, more negative thinking that students get and opening up their possibilities with different messages. I know that sometimes there can be problems in giftedness. That's the heading of one of your sections. Mm -hmm. And as I was reading through the book and really considering what that appears like, I, I go back to my own children and my younger child, he's in a program that is considered that elevated, more gifted mm -hmm. children. And I thought about the message that that sends, yeah. not only to the other students who cannot participate in that program, mm -hmm. but the message it sends to the ones who are in that program. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the problems of giftedness. Yeah, that is exactly as you say. It gives negative messages to those in and out of the program. There's nothing wrong with celebrating high-achieving students or maybe figuring out that they need more advanced work in some ways. But when we attach that message, you're gifted. What students hear when they, or not even the gifted label, when you tell kids they're smart, another fixed label, what they hear is, oh, good, I'm smart, I'm gifted. Um, but then when they struggle on something, and they will struggle on things, they think to themselves, oh, maybe I'm not gifted, maybe I'm not smart, and they're evaluating themselves against this fixed idea. We have a film on YouCube where a filmmaker and I worked together, and we invited Stanford students to share um, what the message of giftedness had done for them. Because many Stanford students were in gifted programs, were told they were gifted, and it's really an amazing film because the students talk about how you know, I, I was given that message. I felt like it was something inside me. And so when I struggled, I felt it must have gone away. And some of them said, you know, I was regarded as gifted and I wasn't meant to ask questions. I was only able to help other people with questions. And people talk about, you know, I, I always avoided any difficult work because I didn't want people to discover I wasn't this gifted person. So there's just a whole range of ways in which that label really changed them in ways we don't want them to be changed. And, you know, they, they could have had a different message. They could have been told, you know, you, whatever you've done in your life, your brain um, has developed and it's great and we're going to give you this extra work to do and this is um, something anybody can get to. But they don't get that message. They get the message, you were born with something different, so we're going to pull you into a different program. And that sends them into a whole nother arena of perfectionism or valuing themselves based exactly. on achievement and, mm -hmm. and, and the entire course of things that as we get older, we try to unwind yes, <laughs> because, <exactly. laughs> because we have taken on now all this other set of luggage that should never have been ours to start with. Right. Uh, when it comes to looking at how our children are moving through some of these issues and how we can support them in schools, is there a way uh, through your book that the parent or the adult can at the same time do their own work to mm -hmm. not cast that onto the children? Mm -hmm. Yes. So one really important message for parents is not to share with your children that you were bad at subjects or activities 
Uh, we know from studies that the amount of maths anxiety, for example, that parents have predicts their children's achievement, but only if they help with homework. So you can see how that might work if you're anxious about the subject and you never interact with it, then maybe you don't pass on that anxiety. But if you're helping with homework, you're probably sharing messages like, oh, I was bad at this at school. Um, We know that when parents share those messages, their child's achievement goes down. Hmm. Embracing the knowledge that we can all change and grow and that limitations can be rejected is the first key to becoming unlocked and approaching life with the new limitless mind. This often allows people to let go of the idea that they are not good enough and the importance of this particular change cannot be emphasized enough. Many people go through life feeling inadequate, often because a teacher, a boss, or sadly a parent or other family member has made them feel that way. When people feel they are not good enough, every failure or mistake is another opportunity to beat themselves up. When people realize that negative limiting ideas are untrue, that any change can happen, and that times of struggle and failure are positive for brain growth, they stop feeling ashamed and start to feel empowered. This is from Dr. Joe Bowler's book. She is the best-selling author of Mathematical Mindsets and has now released Limitless Mind, Learn, Lead, and Live Without Barriers. You can find out more about all of her work at ucubed.org. Definitely check that out. And she has an upcoming event in Rochester, New York, Thursday, November the 14th from 4.30 to 5.30 at the Hyatt Regency. You can, again, go to her website and find out more about that event. We'll be right back with Dr. Joe Bowler and uh, more of Limitless Mind after these messages. want more more joy more abundance more power and presence how would it feel to have more loving relationships more empowered community greater fulfillment and life purpose the 1111 mastermind community inspires empowers guides and supports transformation shift your mind expand your heart deepen insights let go and chart a new course dream a new dream The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset. 
Discovering the Heart and Stepping into Conscious Living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. A change from believing there are limits to learning and life to believing that anything can be learned or achieved is a change from a fixed to a growth mindset. When we make this change, it has a transformative effect on our lives. We stop thinking we are not good enough and start to take more risks. When we add in the knowledge that struggle and failure are important for our brains and can be thought of as opportunities for learning, greater liberation is possible. We start to see our minds as fluid instead of fixed and start to see infinite life possibilities. When we also learn that we can take a multidimensional approach to academic content and to life problems and that we can collaborate with others as partners instead of competitors, it changes not only our thinking about potential, but also all the interactions that permeate our lives. We realize that obstacles cannot be put in our way, that we can always develop strategies to overcome them. This is from Joe Bowler's book, Limitless Mind, Learn, Lead, and Live Without Barriers. You can find out more about all of her work at ucubed.org. Joe, the learning key number four is neural pathways and learning are optimized when considering ideas with a multidimensional approach. Multidimensional is a term that is thrown a lot around in the spiritual world. I'd like for you to explain what you mean by multidimensional when you're talking about the brain. Mm. Um, Yes, we now know that our brain has all of these different pathways. And when we look at a problem, say a maths problem, for example, there are five different pathways that are activated and two of them are visual pathways. So actually, our achievement is highest when we interact with ideas in multidimensional ways. So if I look at numbers... Uh, for in a problem, but I also look at that problem visually, that will cause connections to happen in the brain. And if I move with mathematics or build something, that will cause um, different connections to happen. So we actually don't want to learn any subject in this narrow way where you're only looking at math through numbers or you're only learning about English through reading. We want to interact with those ideas in different ways through movement, through visuals, through talking um, those are what cause the brain to be more connected and it is the most connected brains that are the most high achieving people so yeah that's what I mean by connecting with ideas in a multi-dimensional way I loved hearing and reading about finger perception that was just mm. so interesting to it me really about how the tips of our fingers are connected uh, to what we take in in the brain talk a little bit about that the findings about fingers yes it's so interesting when I read this research I was blown away I was, and thinking why don't schools know this and parents know this so what the research tells us is that finger perception is how well you know your fingertips 
And how well you know your fingertips is correlated with your maths achievement. And when we help students uh, develop finger perception, their maths achievement goes up. Even college students, when they test their finger perception, it predicts how well they do in calculation scores. So um, this is now why they know that musicians often have higher maths achievement because they have really finely developed finger perception. And that develops this really important part of the brain. So the reason finger perception is so helpful is when we look at maths problems, an area of our brain lights up that sees fingers. And the harder the maths problem we look at, the more likely that brain area is to light up that seeing fingers. Mm -hmm. When I was reading through that, I kept thinking about all the different ways that we use our fingertips. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in in the Indian culture and with yoga, the different mudras are always about the fingertips as well. And so it just made it really, really interesting how that all connects. Yeah, it's really interesting. And makes it that much more important that it's okay for us to count with our fingers. (laughs) And it's okay for us to tell our children that they can count with their fingers. Yeah, and it's one of the activities in schools that kids are often shamed for. And they're told not to use their fingers. You see kids hiding their fingers under the desk when they're working on math problems. And, you know, when we stop kids using their fingers, that's like halting their mathematical development. Mm, that's powerful. Also, learning key six, connecting with people and ideas enhances neural pathways and learnings. And we are at a point now in the world where collaboration is another one of those words that's out there. People are really wanting to come together in tribes and teams and activism in all kinds of ways. So why is collaboration important? Well, Uh, collaboration helps us in all sorts of ways in the learning of different school subjects we know that when students are collaborating they learn better and when they connect with each other's ideas that actually um, increases understanding it also requires understanding connecting with somebody else's idea is kind of hard and um, you need to develop your understanding to make those connections So um, it's really important to collaborate. A lot of times uh, students don't collaborate in classes, particularly in subjects like maths and science and college classes. But it's those collaborations that are really important. And in my book, I also talk about how to collaborate differently with a limitless perspective. And I, we, my team and I interviewed about 64 different people in preparation for this book, all of whom had talked about really changing when they got this information. And all of them talked about how they now connect with other people differently. And it seemed that a really critical learning for them that caused this was learning about the importance of struggle. And so they, a lot of them talked about, I used to go into work meetings afraid that I'd be found out for not knowing something. But now they go into work meetings and will say, oh, I don't know that, but I'm going to find out. And they've changed their mindset to be open to saying when they don't know something instead of pretending that they know everything they're meant to know. So that mindset is a really important one for parents as well. Instead of, and teachers, instead of pretending you know everything all the time, share with students, you know, I've never seen that before. That's really interesting. I'd love to find out more about it and model a mindset of curiosity and discovery rather than uh, this pretense that we know everything. 
You write in the book, the difference between positive and negative interactions frequently depends on three actions that teachers, parents, and managers can move towards. One is opening minds, two is opening content, and three is embracing uncertainty. Mm -hmm. We are living at a time where everything is uncertain at this point. And so to embrace uncertainty, Mm -hmm. whether it is in our schoolwork, in our jobs, in our family lives, in our social environments, that's a huge place where oftentimes the fear can come up. And I would imagine fear Mm -hmm. restricts the brain in some way. So how do we embrace that uncertainty while still having the fear that's there and support our expansion? Yeah, many people um, fear that sort of gray area or uncertain areas. They don't want to push themselves into areas where they don't know everything that's going to happen. But uncertainty is an important place to be in. And it is the place where we're most likely to, you know, develop our brains and stretch them. So, um, yeah, the adults we interviewed really talked about how they were able now to live in this more uncertain place and to share with people. I'm not really sure about that, but I'm really willing to find out about it. And that was really important for them. The other change that was important for adults was because they developed a sort of multidimensional way of working, they wouldn't let people put barriers in their pathways. So if somebody put a barrier in front of them, they'd find a way around it. That's a different mindset as well. They wouldn't let people say, no, you can't do that, or no, you can't learn that. They'd think, okay, this person's saying no to me, then I need to uh, find a different way around it. And so I found that the adults, those two pieces of information about the value of uncertainty and the value of struggle, coupled with the value of different ways of thinking, those two together um, were really quite powerful for adults. So in the environments where there are children, because they are finding also children carry more stress than we did at their ages, their cortisol levels are higher, Uh they are more reactive and carry more anxiety and depression than Mm. children in the past. Mm. So when it comes to uncertainty, how can we as parents and teachers support our children in facing some of the things where there is no answer? Mm. Well, I think it's just really important to talk to our children about that and to share the importance of struggle and uncertainty. I had an email from a parent last week who said she'd been to one of my book talks and she said she went home and shared with her daughter the the research about struggle and she said it immediately changed her it changed her when she did her homework she worked longer she kept going so I know these messages are very powerful for young learners I mean imagine being in a classroom and being afraid of being wrong that is the fear that so many of our students have and when we change that for them we taught some students uh, last summer and a few summers ago And they were middle school students and we shared with them, we love it when you're wrong. We love it when you struggle. These are really important times for your brain. So these messages were so freeing for them. And whereas they would give up on work previously, they were willing to keep going because they didn't think that struggle meant that they weren't good people. So I think we have to keep talking to our own children about this, that this is where we want to be, that struggle is good, imperfection is good. You mentioned earlier a perfectionist mindset. That's a very damaging mindset for kids and adults. In the book, you speak about uh, Angela Duckworth and how she introduced the concept of grit, of being dogged and determined in pursuing an idea or a particular direction. And we talked a little bit about that in terms of sports or 
achieving a certain kind of success. You say that being limitless is different from having grit. Yeah. Well, I think grit really captures, for me, an individual focus and determination. If you look at world-class athletes, for example, they've had to be so gritty in their lives, focusing in on that skill they wanted to, to develop and letting go of other things. And for young people, I'm not sure that individual focus on one thing is really that helpful. I th- what I'm talking about is an openness of mind and body and perspective, a freedom of thinking. And I think if you develop that limitless perspective, it can help you be gritty in areas where you need to be. But I don't think being gritty really helps you in, in developing a sort of limitless perspective. So I think that grit can be very helpful. I think um, it the idea also maybe underplays the community aspect of people who are successful. Often when people are very successful, it's not because they individually just were amazing. It was because other people helped them and they connected with other people in important ways. So... I think both of those aspects of grit um, are ones that I think are not emphasized enough that we actually want a broad way of thinking and that we want um, collaboration as well. Schools and many educational establishments and companies don't really encourage different thinking enough. And sometimes um, it's frowned upon or shut down entirely when when something like that is is brought in. Mm-hmm. How how is it best or or is is this type of material something that not just we should know as parents and teachers, mm-hmm. but but how can we share this with our children, with our students in a way that helps them understand mm-hmm. the possibilities yeah. that are for them? I think always, if you're a business person, for example, and you're starting a meeting, or if you're a teacher and you're starting class, always the first thing to to ask people is, what are the different ways people see this, or what are the different ways people interpret this, um, or do, you know, can different people share their thinking about this? And then instead of going down one pathway, like this is the pathway and this is the correct way, valuing the different ways people think. That's a key part of the message I give, that when we open up any idea and value different perspectives on it, it changes conversations and it's much more productive. Thank you, Joe, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. Try living a single day of your life with a limitless approach and you will notice the difference. Unlock the pathways of others and know that you will be changing their lives for the better and they can go on and change the lives of others. There may be nothing more important for our own or for our learners' lives than knowing that we can always reach for the stars. Sometimes we won't succeed and that's okay, but we will always be helped by setting out on the journey, especially if the perspective we take on that journey is truly limitless. This is from Dr. Joe. Joe Bowler's book, Limitless Mind, Learn, Lead, and Live Without Barriers. Definitely pick up your copy so that you can at least start shifting and changing within your own family and move that change out into your your community, your schools, and the people that you speak to. Dr. Bowler is a professor of education and equity at Stanford University and the faculty director of UCubed. You can find out more about her at ucubed.org. My guest next week will be Sarah Bowen, and she is going to be talking about being a spiritual rebel. It's sure to be a rebelicious show, I'm certain. Until then, in love, of love, with love, and as love, I am Simran. Be well. 
Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.